0: Alright guys, there you go. Another Guitar Wank podcast coming up. This is episode oh god, what is it? Episode ninety nine point four three. We're gonna continue straight into Joe Bonamassa from where we left off last week. Actually, I might pull it back a fraction so we uh, so I can remind you where we left off. And um, I was just listening to it, and Gerald was really honest. He was straight up. I was trying to ask some digging questions to find out where his head's at. And uh, I really appreciate his honesty and just being so straight up. So, that was really great. Uh, definitely a lot of respect for the guy and appreciate his uh, giving us the time to sit down and chat with us. Really appreciate that. Anyway, uh, Guitar GuitarWank, subscribe, guitarwank.com, leave, leave us review, send us an email, guitarwankgmail.com, let us know that you've done all these amazing things and we'll put you in the the competition also fill out the questionnaire for bruce's 10 questions to be on the game show guitar Wank game show it's all happening folks Uh, and um there you go and that's that's about it wire world pro audio cables go check them out if you're looking for a cable they make amazing cables and leftcoastworkshop.com go check them out they've got three amazing pedals definitely worth checking out very very cool um, go talk to Jim Let him know that you work You're a fan of Guitar Wank And he will hook Hook You up Baby So uh, go check him out Leftcoastworkshop.com If you have a product Or you have something You really want to share With the Guitar Wank community Reach out to us At guitarwank At gmail.com And make sure you put Advertising or promotions In the subject heading And we'll get back to you And we can talk turkey And work something out all right, let's get into it. Have a great week. Be safe. Look after each other. And we'll talk to everyone next week. Uh, if you are in the Los Angeles area and you have you are looking for something amazing to do this Friday and Saturday night, Bruce Foreman and Danielle DeAndrea are performing here at Prohibition Studios uh, Friday night and Saturday night. There's some tickets still available. It's going to be an amazing night. Come hang. Come have a drink. You can get tickets uh, on the web, look on the Facebook or email us at at guitarwankgmail.com, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, we'll set it up, but, uh, don't miss this amazing show, the red guitar and then Bruce and Danielle performing afterwards. It's going to be a great night, two great nights. Don't miss it. If you're in Los Angeles, killer, come and hang out. It's a very small, intimate setting. You, you're going to have a lot of fun. Alright, enjoy the next installment for Joe Bonamassa and we'll see you guys all next week. Thank you for the support and uh, be safe.
1: questions you know
0: then you know then whatever Does that that go into especially playing the blues because everyone's got their favorite blues guy and yeah. like and you know oh he's not as good as him or he, he he's just copying that guy or he's not reinventing himself like what what's your thoughts on all that discussion and you know because i know you've said it yourself oh i've got these eric johnson licks and you play the fuck out of them yeah, I mean, how do you feel about all that and the direction you're going, the legacy you'll leave, and what, what's your thoughts on all that stuff?
2: I
1: don't care about any of it. Right. Okay? I don't care. Yeah. Okay? I have, I have two loser medallions from the Grammys, okay? Like, people don't, don't know, when you're nominated for a Grammy, you receive a medallion it's oh, a loser wow. medallion really? when, you, when you don't win it's a loser medallion right? okay. and yeah. if you look real close you need a jeweler's loop and it's inscribed at the very bottom okay underneath the gramophone and yep. and the 72nd annual whatever okay it says your star shines bright but not bright enough <laughs> okay at wow. the end of the day yeah what your legacy is going to be you know it's like you're starting you're, you're, you're starting to see um my favorite was it, 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 not favorite because it was a horrible moment in musical history, but the most interesting one for me was, as far as legacy, mm-hmm. was when when Mr. King passed away. This was three years ago, yeah. And the comments and and the people would you know, you know, um, people paid ninety nine percent of people paying tribute to BB King, and there was some articles being written. You know, guitarist B.B. King, um, who is never known for his vocals. What? What? (laughs) He was the best blues singer other than Howl Wolf. Yeah. And, you know, he's an iconoclast of blues singer. Yeah. Wasn't known for his vocals. You cannot control what's written about you at the end. I know there's a lot of people that, that try to position themselves to where... They've carved their own statuette for the rock and roll or blues Mount Rushmore. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. Okay, Because that's your legacy in your mind. Yeah. Not, yes. not, not the legacy you leave. Now, if you if you leave a legacy of music that you're proud of and that you've touched people and were able to entertain people and give them some sort of escapism from their own personal problems or... Or write a song that means something to them. Then you should die a happy individual. Yeah. Okay. Fulfilled. Okay. However, how you're remembered when you're dead and gone, who
2: cares? And it's not a, you don't have any control over it. So you know you have yeah. control over the music. You have control over what you produce. Right. Shouldn't you be thinking about that and giving that the attention rather than? Yeah. What other I mean, you know, you can't help but care what other people think. I mean, particularly your peers, your idols, your mentors. You know, there's there's people in your life that you really care what they think. Ultimately though, you still have to do what you believe in. Absolutely.
1: You know, and my favorite peer comment is when they go, "That guy, how did he d- I just I can't I can't figure out how he did it." That's right, my favorite one. Right. I love that one, too. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Oh, that guy? I can't figure out how he did it. Right. That's my favorite concert. It's yeah, yeah. the best con- it's, it's a. They're not giving me a compliment, but I take it as one. Oh, of them.
0: sure it is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're talking about you. Danny Gatton. Yes. When, when did How old were you when you met Danny? Met him when I was 12. I was um,
1: summer of 90. No, summer of 89. I was at the Silver Lake, New York, Pig Roast. And it was Clarence Gate, Mount Brown, Danny Gannon, and the Cold Shot Blues Band, which was upstate New York's premier blues band. Yeah. And it was a little festival outside, poured concrete stage, PA, you know, ground stack, B&W, you know, PA. So what they would do is in the morning, they'd buy this big pig from a pig farm. They'd bury it in the ground.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay? They'd roast it. And in theory, by the time... Clarence Gatemouth Brown was either on or just getting ready to finish. The pig was ready, Right. you know. It's like a seven-hour roast. <laughs> and I was sitting in with the Cold Chop Blues Band just because. And and Tom Townsley, the leader of the band, was really nice. And and I, I just remember seeing this kind of baseball hat, you know, looking at me on the side. And he goes, "Hey kid, my name's Danny." He goes. He goes, I see you have a telecast. You want to see a real cool one? I'm like, sure. Like, I'm I'm all about guitars. I've never I haven't changed. So I follow him. He's in a little they're in a little van. My dad's with me, and I met Billy Windsor and his band and, and stuff like that. And he goes, here, just for starters, take this. He goes, I'll sign it for you. He goes, I'm, I'm gonna be presumptuous and I'm gonna sign it for you. Signs me a vinyl record, gives me a t-shirt and stuff like that. He goes, you know, my father used to drag me around a bluegrass festivals, just like, like that. And he goes, he goes, he goes, you, you play really well. He goes, Are you, do you know anything about country music? I go, no, I'm just a blues guy. He goes, no, we got to fix that. <laughs> so he hands me the telly, yeah. the 53. And I play it, and it's like the first time I've played a maple neck 50s Fender. And I'm immediately hooked, you know. And then he gets up there, and he's got two amps. He's got a vibraverb and a super reverb. And he, he nailed, like, little two-by-four strips the top of the super reverb so the vibe reverb would sit straight because the handle yeah it. yeah and um super clean tone jack you know daisy chained them old school top into the bottom out of the top and proceeded to put on a demonstration of Americana guitar playing that I've still to this day have never seen anybody like and there was a guy in his lifetime that was Always when you people would talk about Danny Gatton, he goes oh he plays a lot like Roy Buchanan Roy Buchanan and Danny were like it was it was like offended telecaster and uh, a, a club sandwich okay that's Roy had a real intense blues country thing that was indicative of the mid-atlantics Virginia and and and, but Danny was more steeped in the jazz, and he was definitely more steeped in... He's more Hank Garland than Buddy Guy. Right. And and the two complemented Yeah, were they both Telecaster Slingers? Yeah, did they both turn the treble up to 15 and, and do the volume control? Absolutely, there were similarities, but when you really got down into the stylistic nature of Danny versus Roy Buchanan, they're, they're different players. And... But, yeah, Danny kind of offended me because I reminded him of himself when he was a kid. Right. And playing bluegrass festivals with banjos and whatever. And so he'd invite me to D.C. or Boston and New York, and we'd follow him around in the car, and he had a Winnebago. And the thing was, you know, like, I used to watch him. You know, there was no hotels. I mean, they would would live in the Winnebago, and and it was pretty, you know, bare bones. But he would get to the club early. You know, set up his stuff, and you're sitting around, and, and he'd smoke, and he goes, my father's would he goes, hey, Len, he goes, he goes, keep smoking, I need to change my strings. <laughs> so, you would be an ashtray full of cigarettes, and next thing you know, he'd have a Fender a set of fender bullets, that's what he used to use, fender bullets. Um, good strings, too, by the way. Old ones, too, with their actual bullet ball ends. Yeah. And, um, and he'd make this kind of slurry with... Heineken cigarette ash and a rag so he make you know and he after he after he changed the strings yeah, he he put this Oh, he run it he would run it up and down wow. the strings it cuz because he played with so much treble he he felt that it it he didn't like the sound of brand new strings he deaden
2: them a little bit yeah so
1: it, it'd be like insta right it, you know it's like put it a month's worth of wear on the strings in an instant and but he would we'd sit on his Winnebago or we'd sit, sit in the club and, and I'd play the telly he'd play the he had a 295 or an L5 and he was the one who introduced me to Hank Garland he was the one who introduced me to, to Merle Travis and Jerry Reed mm-hmm. and you know my my world went from from mono to stereo and all of a sudden I wanted to be him yeah, you know, I wanted a blackguard telly. I wanted to, you know, use more than my pick. Yeah, you know, he taught me how to do all that stuff, and um, you know, because he and we'd have this little shtick where he'd play the slide and I'd play this thing. And it was, you know, it was like Barnum and Bailey, but it was really a time in my life where talk about discovery. You know, I mean, my love for. Everything that I hold dear now, blackface fender amps, maple neck fenders, didn't come from reading books. It came from him, you know?
0: You know, I mean, do you look back at that time, I guess you must, and just go, I mean, fuck, man, I got to, to hang out with Danny Gatton, and was it...
1: Yeah.
3: I mean,
0: you know, I got amazing.
1: To, I got to shake Willie Dixon's hand. You know, I mean, I, I got to see some of these guys and play and hang with some of these guys, um... Before they died, yep. and I cannot stress to people you know enough what the blue scene was like in the mid to late '80s. the blue scene there was you'd had, you had James Cotton, you had Lonnie Brooks, you had BB and Buddy, and Otis Rush was still active. you still had you know the, and then there was just just in our local area, there was four or five. Great blues bands mm-hmm. and clubs to play. Yeah. And I remember coming out here to Los Angeles and meeting Joe Sublette and the Texacali Horns and and you know and playing a gig at Club Spice and with with Earl King and all these guys. And there was this fire and brimstone and piss and vinegar that was happening in the blues scene. And you know now when you go to a, a place, you know, and they and and you bring in a, a, a three watt amp, and the, the the sound guy in the club is like, Freaking "Holy out. shit!" Yeah. Oh, you're like the typhoid Mary of this this this, this establishment. Back then, it was common place to see two super reverbs, two twins, four deluxes, Yeah, cats would show up because they wanted a the big clean, and they, and and it all nobody got killed and it sounded great yeah yeah you know and it the whole scene back in those days was it was great camaraderie there was a farm system a feeder system where people could go out and play in woodshed and most importantly to even get to that to that regional scene you had to play yeah. you had to be good and that was really really um Really uh, eye-opening for me. There was a guy in the mid-Atlantic, upstate New York, Tino Gonzalez. You, you know, not many people know his name. Guy took an ES-330 in a mess of boogie and just ripped your face off. Same thing with Chris Kane, you know? Yeah. And you're going, you're going. it's like that, when you were, when you were a kid coming up, going, I better at least compete with that. Because those guys got on stage, and I don't care if you were 12 or 100, they were coming at you. I remember Albert Collins coming at me with his (laughs) telly, you know, open F minor with Debbie Davies on rhythm guitar. I'm sitting up there with a Fender Stratocaster and he's trading fours with me. And I'm like, holy shit, am I getting my ass beat? But it's Albert Collins, you know, and he showed me no mercy. Mm -hmm. But I remember that going, I better step up my game you know and, and the blue scene was so it was full of that, and it was
2: it was just oh, the jazz, magical jazz seems the same was the same in the seventies you know in the sixties it was all the same man i mean it's that's where it actually has been for until a very recent change, yes yeah. that's what it has always been, probably going back almost centuries, you know, in terms of the way. The music was learned. The music was communicated. The way the community has always developed. Then you know it's like it's not broke, don't fix it. But then this thing comes along called the internet, right? And it uh, it had a huge impact on how people learn things, on the fracturing of the community, and actually the business of the club world itself, which is the farm system for the growth of these great voices.
1: Yeah, I mean, I if I had to start my career now in two thousand eighteen versus twenty, well, my first solo album came came twenty years ago. If I had to do that, there would be no farm system to get across the country under your own power. You'd be able to. There would be these little blues clubs that kind of had almost a built-in audience, so there was enough to sell some merch and pay the bills. And but you can go from L.A. to New York and do thirty-five shows as long as you're willing to drive and put in the effort. And that was a big deal
2: and you're talking the 80s for you right i'm talking the
1: 90s for me the late 80s early 90s you know here's a question for you bruce when did fusion become a four letter word because in my mind (laughs) there's so much great fusion music from i would say 1973 to 71 yeah, to yeah. Billy Cobham's Spectrum yeah, yeah, yeah. through all the Herbie Mahavishnu stuff Mahavishnu, Mahavishnu yeah. stuff when did that go off the rails to where where it became like yelling
2: fire in a crowded theater <laughs> I, I didn't notice I didn't notice that it had become that but uh, I'll take your word for it <laughs> well it just
1: it just you know like when I was promoting the, the rock candy funk party thing and people were going, well, what, what, what kind of music is it? I said, well, it's it's instrumental jazz, funk fusion, Um in the style of like Herbie Hancock or you know uh, the, the stuff, you know. Yeah. And as soon as I said the word fusion, it was like like enthusiastic faces, and it was just like I just told them like their grandmother dad. Yeah, you, you just farted in the room. <laughs> just, yeah, you just farted. It was like, you it, need to
2: ask uh, Scott. <laughs> and you just go, <laughs> you know. Well, maybe Scott's the reason. No. Yeah, it's Scott's but, the reason. No. But you go, well, it has, It has, first of all, I, you know, I would bet to you that most people, if they, when you mentioned the, the label fusion, the genre fusion, they're not thinking stuff and Herbie, like when he did Chameleon and stuff, yeah, like, yeah. and in they're not. That is not what fusion represents right now. Fusion represents more of the uh, post-McLaughlin music that we hear. Very highly technical, loud, uh, difficult to hear. You know, Virgil Donati-style drummers. You know, David. Yeah. W- you know that that is what people think of when they think of fusion, which has become a very uh, it seems to have a very diminished, but f- but strong following, like at the p- at the Spud, at the baked potato. Yeah, yeah. But in throughout the world, it seems to have not had a real good longevity when it made that transition to techno, and, and I mean geeky, I guess is a better word. We um, went
1: from sophisticated funk to everything I know at the same time. Right,
2: right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, to me, uh, in some ways, it embraced some of the. Uh, the, you know, it's jazz rock fusion and, and some of it, not all of it, because I, I still think a lot of great is being played right now. Oh, yeah. um, and all you got to do is listen to Scott's band Tribal Tech and you'll just, mm. whoa, you know. Um, his old band and his new band, his new music is great. Uh, but in general, it seems, in my opinion, to kind of have like the worst of jazz and the worst of rock thrown together. The uh, too many notes, too hard to hear the harmony, Nobody listening to each other, just playing a million choruses of, of jazz, yeah, and the super loud overplaying right without a groove without i mean without a groove right that a lot of rock bands seem to be going for now, that this sort of like losing the center of the music, but going for all the uh, ornaments of it yes and, and I mean it seems to me that that is in, in a lot of people 's mind, and i 'm just trying to answer your question because uh, I have my own personal reasons for liking, disliking things. It's usually on a case-by-case basis. Right. Uh, but I think a lot of people associate that particular right. amalgam for the fusion experience. And and, and, it, and it did kill the word fusion. Because you could say, like, Americana, bluegrass fusion, and hurt yourself by saying the word fusion.
1: fusion. Right. And here's my other, my follow-up question, not to get all Mike Wallace is <laughs> Well, I didn't when, expect to get interviewed here. When... when <laughs> When was the line of demarcation when drumming went from the Steve Gadd school of, I'm laying this thing down and neither truck nor ship will move me from this downbeat Mm -hmm. to drummers, again, propensity or proclivity, depending on how you look (laughs) at it. It's almost like if I'm an Englishman and I see a fellow Englishman with a penny farthing and I stick my cane in the spoke of the front wheel, making them fall off. When when did that start? Where where the over the bar line drumming, where even seasoned players have to look at their watch to keep time. <laughs> let alone the audience, which is Forget either non-existent it. or confused. Right. Or Somewhere. Well, that, well, it, well, that, you, well, when did that start? Is it okay, the gospel well, that, chops? You know, <laughs> that, I mean, no,
2: but you know, I mean, you could go into jazz. I mean, I can only, really, only feel qualified to answer the jazz part of that yeah, yeah. question. Um, there were guys who came along, and in the bebop period, they were still very much demarcating the time, but they were accenting different beats. It right. wasn't really like hiding the downbeat. It was more like building longer phrases that didn't demarcate every bar. Right. Um, four-bar phrases, eight-bar phrases, right. you know, that that was where it started, and of course you listen to guys like Elvin Jones, and, um, you know, he was probably one of the main guys who didn't really tie up every little four-bar phrase and with a nice little gift right. wrapping and a bow and hand it to you, you know, right. it was like, it had some hangover. Uh, and then Tony Williams extended on that, but still to me, those guys, you know, if you were you'd be shaking your booty to that music, exactly. you know what I mean so and 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 I played with Elvin, never played with Tony, and you I could always hear where one was. I mean, right. it wasn't like what you, but it did seem to set that that you know what I mean, the next generation of guys kind of just like we do in music, we kind of evolve to it another place yeah. and then we we start playing for each other to impress each other instead of you know that becomes we become a, and and that's a big problem for me with kind of what's happening now in the world you have these cuz I'm actually teaching at a university and, right. and what I watch with my kids is their world is so different they are basic, their their audience is me their family right. and 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 the rest of the kids at school right and they're all, and what's, they get grades, I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, they're not getting paid for gigs. So, so obviously their, their contact with the real audience in the real world and, and needing to fulfill certain responsibilities for the gig yes. is different and not, non-existent in some cases in certain elements. And so you have this over-techno, you know, this, these kids who can play more shit than any of us can. Yeah. Really. I mean, It's scary. You walk out of a lesson and you're like bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of just being able to deliver on some of the things that you needed to have together just to get on a bandstand when I was their age. Yeah. It's just I mean, it's it's almost corny to them. Yeah. Really. And and so I think that you take a guy like Billy Cobham who still was did do a lot of what you're talking about But was, you always
1: felt Billy. I know, exactly, but I'm yeah. just
2: saying you can if you extrapolate from that style right with generations of influence right you see where it's going to go yeah. it's not going to go back towards bernard purdy yeah, yeah. it's yeah. going to go I've, you know toward towards the more virgil i mean i use virgil to and i'm not putting well, him he's, down he's a nice guy too he? and he's a great player but you know that seems to be his thing you know it's like let's hide let's you know displace let's you know let's that how technical and how you know well you know i i've been
1: i've been on, I've been on the years of, of yesteryear when I would go down to the NAM show or whatever, and and participate, or just in general, you, know, like you, you end up in a like a mixed jam full of of different musicians from different ilks, and it's on paper. This is this is. Better than the Dead Sea Scrolls, you right. know. But in reality, <laughs> the, the, then the reality sets in. It's
2: not. It's, yeah. not. it's
1: really not. Especially when it's it's Mustang Sally being called, and you're
0: like,
1: "Holy <laughs> shit!" Here right. we go. You again. Guys
2: are trying to. Sh- but also, the Nam show is particularly, particularly a, an anomaly, a place on earth that that it's like there's Nam chops. There's yeah. music. Being played in the world right. and then there's Nam chops <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and even when you get a good group of guys together at Nam it's as if there's something in the air of the water that that turns it into something a little i mean not if it 's a band but you know a jam or a guy just even yeah. they, you know trying out an instrument yeah i mean it's so funny to me to hear a guy pick up an instrument at the Nam show and hear him try it out and know that. Probably if he was trying this instrument out in a normal music store or in somebody's right. house, it wouldn't be anything like what he's playing.
1: Now. Or if he, was, he, if he wasn't being promised he would get the thing for free, he wouldn't even be there in the first place. <laughs> right, well, that's that's exactly.
2: another story. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like nam chops I call it, and it's so funny to me. I make jokes about it. You know, yeah. like I pick up a guitar and go, now I'm going to play one 365th note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the fastest note in the world. Ever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, to me it,
1: it you know, it there really is a music is so subjective. Yeah. You know, and, and the reason why this show exists and why the internet exists and why it all exists, magazines is because of how subjective things become, you know, and, and like I said, I mean I've been on stage with random drummers, very accredited drummers. I won't mention names, but and and you were playing simple groove bass music or whatever, and literally there has been times where I thought the drum riser collapsed. You're like, holy crap.
3: What, I was Oh, it was really oh that annoyed. was a fill. Yeah, right, right.
1: <laughs> and, 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 and and but but, but, but you know, just think. I just thought the whole just thing, is dropped. All you have
2: to do is write around four mar, four four bars for another one.
1: Right. <laughs> well if you ever here's a here's a good if you ever on a on a rabbit hole. If you ever watch old Albert King videos, okay, Albert King had this 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 uh, he'd use a lot of pickup bands and that was kind of the nature of Yeah the way those guys roll. Roll in the town, like what songs we playing playing fucking Albert King songs, Born yeah. on a Bad Side, and a three yeah. and a four. No sound checking gone. Yeah. And a lot of times you you'd hear stories or watch videos of, of him, he just you just see him like in between the verses or fills or something like that. He'd braid the drummer. braid the drummer. Like he's like, jeez, boy, Albert King really had a thing for for, for drummer. Well he was Albert King his name, born name was Albert Nelson. And He was a drummer for Jerry Reed or Jimmy Reed, um, and and so he was a he played drums oh, wow. before he played guitar and sang.
2: And you always <clears throat> wondered why he was always so hard on the drummers it's because he was one himself, right? Well, also you know I mean it, where's the fill always going to be? You know on the drums. We know at the end of four bars he's going to play a fill. Well, you know if if you're a musician, particularly a singer and a player, you sing, where is it the moment that you're going to play something? It's usually going to be the end of the phrase, which is at the end of two or four bars, right? So yeah. that one moment where you're going to play something, automatically like it's like you walk into a car wash when everything was going fine for a second. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's constantly, there's no room to play. Right. And this is the moment you're supposed to play, and it seems like the music has evolved to where everybody plays all the, the fills all, all the time. time, and it's, it's, <laughs> they just—I don't know—I don't understand where they learn that. You know, I mean.
1: Yeah, I think it's also you know, I, I've tried to avoid in the last six or seven years being involved in in what I call guitar mageddon jams.
2: Smart man, avoid the, them with the like the players. Because yeah. if I
1: see more than two or three guitar players, I'm like, you don't need me, fellas.
0: You know this is it's, it's always it doesn 't matter how you can have the best players it 's always a shit show,
1: yeah, one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals negative five yeah yeah okay and and because when, one of the great things i i'm not an instructor, I'm not a teacher or anything but it but if I'm ever asked for advice, I said, you know a couple of things um i'm a soloist in a solo act group, okay, so i'm in the most self centered egotistical position. Known to musical kind, okay. <laughs> I'm a solo artist who overplays over blues rock changes, and people encourage it, okay. So I solo a lot, but if I to, was to break down my two-hour show, I play rhythm about eighty percent of the times, and I also use the volume knob of my guitar more than I'm on ten because you have to when you're playing rhythm or comping behind a soloist or just singing or whatever you have to be aware of your rhythm skills your accompanying skills and kind of just your job is to melt into the band yeah not assert yourself i've i've been on stages i've been a couple of situations with ma- known people and i don't know what happens but like, I try to set the example, like, I either turn the guitar off and let it just become trio or quartet with a Hammond or whatever, or whatever, keyboards, because, whatever, it's like... They it's, don't need it. It don't need it. But sometimes, then when I take a solo, it's like, it's like rhythm guitar, louder than single oh, note. Oh, yeah. And you're like, and you're like, wait a minute, you've got to be able to comp chords, and it's such a skill set that I think is almost... It's definitely, in my opinion, more important than, than being able to solo and, and, and play sixty-second notes over, whatever, sixty-fourth notes over, whatever. It doesn't matter. Having good chord vocabulary, comping skills, and cognizant awareness of your fellow dais is 90% of the battle of, of having the music sound right. Of course, of course, and and it's and it's a skill set that even on the top top tier pro level sometimes is lost. Is that just
0: egos just getting? Well, it's
2: it's really simple. I mean, I'm I have a pet peeve about this. I actually got into a little jam session um, in Germany a couple days ago, where I'm sure this guy was very excited to be playing with me, you know, and I and I and I appreciate that, you know, and it's really cute, and I'm real touched. You know and that's and that's you touch
1: for about i don't know twelve bars well no i mean so i want <laughs> I and want to over.
2: say that you know like i'm I'm just understanding I'm trying to be understanding and a good human being, you know, like I mean, I don't think he was out to sabotage my playing, you know, yet the effect was that, yeah, he was comping louder than me, he was busier than me, you know, and so uh and and all I could, there was one point where I just stopped playing in the middle of my solo until he like and eventually he got the idea. Yeah. He knew it wasn't the end of my solo and he could see that I hadn't had a stroke yet. So <laughs> right. you know, my, my reason for stopping must have been something else. And he he got the point. Yeah. And I only had to stop one more time in those two courses. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it, did color, it did bring it comment down for a second. But really, when you play, first of all, too loud, there's only one reason. And that's because you're not listening. Because... The first thing you learn about the guitar, the first day you get it, electric or acoustic, you figure out how to make it louder and softer. That right. is the first thing yeah. before you learn a D chord before you learn a C chord, you figure out how to make this thing louder and softer. there's not a question about that. so if you are playing too loud, that means you're not listening. yeah simple play I mean and there and once you understand that about somebody and know they're doing it you pretty much know you're fucked at that point because yeah. if they're not listening, we're 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 like uh, you just you just like counting the minutes to get away from this human, you know. And I had a, I was playing this Oregon kind of jazz blues organ gig when I was about 16 in San Francisco. It's really rough area. Was super excited. Back in the day when you know I used to be able to carry a twin with JBLs around. I, I can't believe I can still I could yeah. do that, ever. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and uh, set it down on the stage, you know, and I'm. Pulling out my axe and I'm in like the dark all of a sudden. There's a lot of stage light, and all of a sudden I'm in the dark, you know, but there's light over to the sides and I turn around there's this woman, she's the biggest woman I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm pretty big and she's like big. Has this big afro wig, you know. And she says, you the new guitar player? I said, yeah. She says, let me tell you the three don'ts of accompaniment. (laughs) I went like, okay. And she says, don't play too loud, don't play too much. And don't play the melody. And you know, I've never heard anybody describe accompaniment to this day any better than that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, You know, and that harkens back to, to having the feeder system, the farm system for people to learn like that. Because I pulled those shenanigans in the 80s or early 90s. And you
2: got called out for it. Oh, or you?
1: or you're just, you just get run out. You're, and you're not invited back or whatever. You know or what I you're, mean?
2: You, I mean, I've had my amp Unplugged. Yeah, I've had numerous. You know, I had a lot of. Th- I mean, that, that was just the way it was. You know, I mean, yeah. Some guys were mean and liked being mean. Yeah. But they were right. Yeah. They were right. Whatever. The, you know, like uh, the amp guy I've unplugged because I took one too many choruses. You know, I I'd gone a little too long. Yeah. And the guy but was you just, okay. From that. Yeah. You know, I got I got I got you know, I've told on this show numerous times where I was embarrassed by guys. You know, but it was really they were right and I learned and. Kind of, sorry, it still doesn't happen. Now no one can do it because everybody's armed, you know, you don't want to. Everybody's <laughs> armed
1: and, and it's, it's, everybody's armed and it's a little bit like, you know, it, there's, you, you can't say anything negative.
0: There's opinions Because a- it'd be like,
1: no, you know, no, it's, n- nobody you agrees know. to a baseline of facts. Right, you can, well, you can <laughs> on the internet, but you can't face to face. Yeah. No, you can't. I mean, you know, I I still do it face to face. I I sure if, I do. If 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 I I from a certain school, and even though I do look younger, I I've been around long enough to where, you know, I I if I see it going off the rails, I'm not an idiot or an asshole. I but I I am stern. You like stop. This is I can tell you this for free. This is going to be a long evening if we continue on these kind of behaviors. Right. You know, it's, it's 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 I said. I always tell cats, especially in a pickup band situation, if you're up there, listen to the singer. Okay, let them. There's got to be democracy is a great thing as long as one person's in charge. It's like it's it's listen to the singer, follow them, and support. Right. You know, nobody's going to make their reputation tonight. Nobody's going to be shot out of a cannon, you know, and, and into superstardom. So let's 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 check that at the door and try to have some fun. Most importantly, and and try to have, you know, try to make as good a music as we can
0: you know of how, how is the blues thing now the blues thing is
1: is has always been on life support mm. you know i mean it's it's everybody says that well the blues is dead and then there's you know every 10 years there'll be
2: a new guy come along there's, and, yeah
1: i was the i was the new guy 10 years ago gary clark was the new guy 2 years ago or yeah. 3 years ago um the problem with it is there's no places to play you're seeing house parties you're seeing you know and it's the same thing with all genres of music. There's no place to play,
0: yeah.
1: you know. And I always say the blues scene is what you bring to the city when you're in town. Like that's, even if you're an up and coming blues guy, you know, that's out there slugging it out, going, you know what? If there's ten people in the club, you those those ten people better walk out of there going, man, if you weren't here, you missed out. Right. You know, you are the blues scene you know I think I think right now the my two favorites are Marcus King and and Joanne Shaw Taylor. I think both of them have a real shot at breaking out into becoming the next big thing in the blues scene. Yeah. And you know I mean ultimately everybody has their own personal responsibility to be responsible for their own future. You know, right. There's no there's no there's no entity to, there's no star makers anymore. It's like you have to, you have to
2: figure it out yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's all the the whole thing has changed. I mean, but the the beauty of that is the young people coming up are a part of this world, and there will be a way. That, I mean, house parties are a, a, a obviously a new variation. I mean, they were always we always had them, but they've become a much bigger part of yeah. the performance pie. Uh, people doing their own promotion. And, uh, and you know, being able to book and create community through uh, Instagram and all this stuff. These kids are part of that world. So, I mean, like with my teaching, I've got, I mean, I'm teaching jazz. Let, let's face right. it. The career there is where, you know what I mean? Every, people go to my school, the, 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 the huge school that I teach at, and they come out of there with a degree that makes them a high income wage worker right. you know everybody that graduates from uc with a doctor degree or as a biologist or an engineer or a you right. know whatever they, they they come out with the expectation of a good paying occupation you have a job with a 401k yeah exactly <laughs> and you know let's face it we've got jazz now and we don't have that yeah and and, and i think there the people are a little kind of disoriented by that whole societal shift but nonetheless these kids are coming out with great skills they still need to do the work of playing for people and entertaining and and developing a following and and still playing in the minor leagues you know just like the colleges they put out baseball players but they generally go through the minor leagues before they make the majors yeah so this is so in a way we're just helping them create community because that community really doesn't exist as much in the clubs anymore. So we are, you know, these kids are playing at our school. And they're playing a lot. And they're around the teachers, which, you know, it's me and Peter Erskine and Bob Mincer. And, you know, so they're around Russell Ferranti. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a lot of guys to be around. So they're getting mentored. And they have a whole community, a pot of guys to play and compete with. And so it, it, on paper, it looks good. The problem is, it's just like you said, you were driving around in the 80s. Or '90s, '90s, and I was driving around in the '70s and oh, right. '80s, and um, the difference was when I was on the road with you know Bobby Hutcherson or, or Freddie Hubbard or uh, Richie Cole. A hotel room basically was uh, hundred a week, maybe I could easily yeah. easily do right. that. Uh, my rent was probably hundred fifty a week, right? You know, and I was making a hundred a night. So, I mean, I was yeah. pretty flush, you know, for a guy. And even when I did with my own band we were in the van and we were doing it, we could still stay at a Motel 6 when Motel 6 actually was called Motel 6 because the rooms were six bucks. That's right. <laughs> you know. Um, now you've got a whole different economic paradigm yeah. that everybody has to deal with. You know, rents in this town or Yes. exorbitant gas costs a lot of money hotel rooms are cost a lot of money so i think they're they're finding out a ways of developing a community you know staying with friends playing and maybe they're realizing the club owners are kind of kind of unnecessary because uh, they just take a percentage of what you do. They don't in the old days when I worked a jazz club. It was a place everybody went for jazz. Right. They they advertised in the newspaper and on the radio, and usually you got an article in the newspaper yes. if you were playing at that club. You know, I mean, so there was there was this machine that it was worth playing that club because they added all these benefits to help make the gig successful. Whereas today you play a club and it's almost like you're paying them to play there. Yeah, you are paying them. But, okay, yeah. okay, you are, and so well, if with the realization is well, if I'm paying them to play here, why don't I rent a better place? Right. If I'm paying to play, right. That I can control, right. That I can do what I want, and I can invite all the people and do all the PR myself. And you know what? I'm making the investment, so I'm making the profit. Exactly. And you know, and I think some kids today. And, and I, again, a lot of what I do is to try and just keep these kids' minds in the present world and seeing what their options are. Yeah. Even though they're getting it from a geezer, I'm not, aware, I'm not like, blind to what's going on right. around me. I'm still out there working a lot. So, I, I, you know, I mean, I think that what needs to happen is people who are a little bit more entrepreneurial and innovative and have a better sense of strategy and not following for the 50s model – You know, oh, yeah, we'll put out a record, then we'll tour, and then we'll do it again. You know, it's like, no, you're going to have to, like, either get somebody or learn some internet skills, start investing in four-walling your own concerts, you know, finding your community, maybe uh, getting out on the road and, like, having... A good network of things, so that you can make it cost efficient so that you can keep doing it for the long haul because the real important thing is the music needs that much time to incubate and become something, yeah you know, and so there's all of these pressures that need to be gotten together you know for somebody in the in the newer world and yes, you're right there are there still is a music business, but that's a different thing there's like there's this music economy of the big stars and the big record companies. Yeah. And it's, it keep, the pie keeps getting smaller every year. But it's it's, it's, a big lo- it's a lot of money that goes down. You know, when you think of Beyonce and Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. And, but it's whacked up between 10 people. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, I mean, just what, however big that is. But then there's this whole other music industry of yeah. people playing. Right. And I would venture to guess that that economy is just as big as the other economy, it's just spread out of of course amongst millions, millions more people. Yeah. But nonetheless, this is a big economy and, and the people who are innovative, entrepreneurial, and have a good sense of strategy, and are playing the long game, and really understand that the incubation of the music, and the evolution of the music in the personal sense, is the goal. Absolutely. I think they'll do fine. I think they will too. I think.
1: Is that
0: that's now something you've succeeded, like you've You've nailed that,
1: basically. I don't have an agent or a record company, right? So you've done done it yourself, or a promoter? Have you ever? Huh? Have you ever? I was on William Morris. Now they're William Morris Endeavor for seven years, and that was an okay experience. Wasn't a great experience. Um, Again, when you're not Beyonce, it's an okay experience. Um, We started promoting our own shows in 2005, and we figured out there was a ceiling. Among the promoters and agents and everything, that if you played that game, there—God forbid—you drew one last person, your guarantees would go down. Right. God forbid you weren't the hot thing that was being played on at that point, VH1 or at yeah. radio, and then they would just shuffle you aside, and then the next fresh face would come through, and they're all excited, and you're just then you're just either put put out to pasture or. You, you're you're on some sort of heritage. Well, thing.
2: yeah, you're back on your own, and, and really, what you're, you're still doing is promoting yourself. But they're just getting a booking fee. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember because <laughs> because right, you, you get a gig, somebody wants to book you, and then you tell them to call the agent. Yeah, and they get their piece of it, but you got the gig.
1: Well, the other thing is too, when you start getting into the macro of a, of a, of a show, is the inflated costs. Okay, so now, you know, we just played the Greek Theater. We promoted the Greek Theater ourselves. Okay, how, now how do you how do you you call up the city and rent it? At the Greek Theater, and you put the thing on sale. Now, when you do a show settlement back in the day with Live Nation or whoever, or club promoter or whatever, or club, you know, there you you go down, you go down the the line item by line item. Okay, Doritos, fifty bucks. Who spends fifty bucks on cater, quote unquote, catering when there's you know, you know, two beers left over from the helmet concert from last <laughs> night, and right. and 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 some, you know, how, how did how did that become fifty bucks? Rent cap, you know, 2500 So you're charging me $2,500 to rent your own place that you're making money on. Advertising, 12000 So, oh, you spent $12,000 singularly on advertising my show, or is that just your monthly nut when you put me in the same strip ad with 18 well, exactly, other things? Pay- exactly, exactly. And, and by the way, each and every single act that's is playing 12 is is, quote-unquote, paying them back before... And it's all it's all designed to get back down to the split point where they're they're gonna pay you either less money or no back end whatsoever. We figured that out in two thousand five, going, Well, that's not gonna work for us. So we decided to 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 we promote all our shows worldwide. We don't have a promoter, we don't have an agent, we don't have anything. And it used to so be So you're
2: forewelling all of your shows. Everything.
1: Record company, we do our own merchandising, we do our own apps we do. Every single step in the equation is done in house, and two reasons: one, we don't trust anybody else to do it, and and two, we, the only people that really believe as much as we do in ourselves is ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. and that's you know that's that's going to be the lesson in in how to survive. Well, the,
2: yeah, I mean that you know I mean and i i've known that about you and i've admired that about you and you know it's it's really you know what i've been talking about is what you're saying you right. know it's like those skills are what's necessary or having a partner that right. understands this and and and,
1: and 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 unfortunately this is one of the things i tell i tell people is is you know there's still a bit of the mentality of, of, man, I'm just a I'm just a blues guitar player, or I'm just a rock musician, or I'm a, you know, I said, you know, guys, ladies, gentlemen, people. It's called the music business. Mm. It's the second word that trips pe- more people up than the first. Yeah, A lot of great musicians don't know how to keep, sustain a business. Now, when I say a business, you go, well, geez, it's very complicated music business. Like, you no, know, if you really boil it down, it's not. If you... Now I'm gonna drive home here, I'm gonna tell you where we are, but I'm gonna drive home here, I'm gonna go down, uh, whatever, we're in the valley, okay, I'm gonna pass about 50 strip malls, okay, on my way home. In those strip malls there's about 10 or 15 businesses that are operating, there's sushi places, ramen places, laundry, cigarettes, liquor, blah, 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 blah. No different than what I do. Cash in, cash out. Your idea is to make more money than, than you spend. And it's the simple, fun, simple fundamentals of business that apply to the music business as, as, as it does to running a ramen noodle kiosk at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Yeah. So that's, it's the same thing. Only what you're doing is monetizing creativity. Now if you have a personal issue about monetizing creativity, I suggest you find other lines of work and do it on the side. <laughs> because there's a lot of people who are like, oh man, you know, it's just art and it goes out into right. the ether and blah blah. Well, this is bullshit. not for you then. Yeah. yeah. Okay, can't have it both ways. You can't cry poverty. You can't say, well, uh, you know, I can't monetize, you know, my 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 creativity. Then, but then you know what? Then either cut a deal with PBS, or 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 do it on the side, or just do it for in, for the pure enjoyment, or give it away, and you're fine. But then, you know, nobody's gonna subsidize you. You have to figure out the second word, you know, and that's where it trips a lot of people up, you know, because they either Rely on no advice, bad advice, clue uh, advice that's not in their best interest, or D all of the above. Right, and 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 they don't trust themselves, and they're not willing to bet on themselves.
2: You right. That, that well, you hit you, you had on a lot of things. You know, not really. I mean, I during the, you know, during especially during the, the recession. I mean, I my my my. Financial success is the fact that I'm always in a recession <laughs> being a musician you know yeah. what I mean I, like, I don't even notice these things because basically I don't spend what I don't have you know what I mean it's, that's what enables me to stay a musician and, and, and creative and do my projects is because I don't over leverage myself at the same time. There was a time where you know you couldn't put your money anywhere. Right, and during the recession, like housing prices were going down, the stock market was tanking. Right. Everything was worth less. You know, even if you collected guitars, you know, there was a moment there where that shit was going down. No one was buying. Sixty percent. It took. Yeah, yeah. Right, but investing in yourself, there's a good prices. investment, and that's what I was telling. You know, everybody to do is invest in yourself. You, and, know, you know, like it, what? It's just yeah. You've got this. You know, you've got this thing going really well. Take that money and instead of putting it in, you know, bad stock, Roth IRAs, yeah, yeah. You just invest in yourself, you know. And but the other thing is, of course, still back with the first word, is be a badass. You know, I mean, I I do a lot of clinics and master classes at universities and stuff, and it's like a common question is like, oh, how am I gonna make it? In the world of music, jazz, whatever the you know whatever right. the end of it is, and it's and I, and I have to say you just got to be a badass first and foremost. W O R K exactly. And whatever you know, I'm not saying be an asshole. I'm saying be a badass. You've got to be that person that everybody wants to play with. They want you in their project. They want to be part of yours. You've got to be that person, and then you can start thinking about the business. Right. I
1: also say that in the blues business, there's always a, there's always the term, playing with bad intentions. I've I know some of the nicest people in the world play with bad intentions, and that's what I've always tried to do. It's like my job when I was a kid or coming up in the in the business, I was either at a blues festival or was at a, whatever you know, playing a show with multiple band bills. I at, at this point, the way I looked at it was like I can be not being an asshole about it, but but but. Time to be friends with everybody is after my rent is paid. Okay, my job is to win the day. I want people to walk out of the room going, "Who is that weird-looking dude with the strat or the Les Paul?" You know, that was that was my, you know. And I found if you played notes with bad intentions, like going, "Man, you know, jeez," he's feeling that, you know. And and that's what I've always tried to instill. And anybody's asked me the question, it's like it's like don't be timid don't don't overplay well, that's what you be doing don't by don't don't, wreck, don't don't wreck the okay. the the music because yeah, that's what I thought when, you meant by bad intentions no but when 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 people point to you and it's your it's time, time to solve time to take it don't 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 Go you don't, back, don't be exactly